Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Outtakes. I'm Lori Baker. Today's guest is Felice Sampler. Daytime audiences remember her for her work as Renee DeMira on Days of Our Lives, as Lacey Gallagher on Rituals, and as Donna Hudson on Another World. Since then, she has had a very successful career as a voiceover artist, having done work for such projects as the animated Incredible Hulk series and the anime series Digimon. So, here is Felice. All over Twitter and Facebook, you know, especially with, you know, the Days fans, uh, we're seeing pictures of you uh, with Joseph Mascolo and Teo Penglis and, and all the different co-stars from uh, your time at Days of Our Lives at the big 50th anniversary gala. Um, what was the experience of the gala like for you? It was um, more than I ever dreamed it can be. Um, I was so touched and so honored to get the invitation. I mean, everybody realizes that uh, I was on the show over 30 years ago, and I think this past January, like 5th or something, was actually my 35th year of my first broadcast. So even then, it was like 34 years since um, I had been on days, so to be remembered by the production company and Kim Corday and Greg Ming and everybody um, to be invited was was a huge honor. And then when I got there and I got to see so many of the people that I had worked with, uh, both who were still on the show and others who had come and gone who were at the party, it was just such a delight and so much fun. Um, words can almost not express how joyous an occasion it was. And to totally see Joe Muscola again and, you know, to get a hug from him and te- and for him to tell me that he loved me and me and, you know, loved working with me, it, it meant everything. And to see Bill and Susan again and, and Deidre and, of course, Teo and, and Leanne and, Oh my gosh, the list just goes on and on. Suzanne and Gloria Loring and everybody. It was fabulous. It was. And you were there uh, with Greg Marks as your date. And of course, people remember Greg, Mar- Greg Marks from uh, playing David Banning, Renee's husband, for a while. Had you guys been keeping in touch or was that the first time you'd been together in a while? Or No, um, that's why he wasn't mentioned in the barrage of people that I was so excited to see because Greg and I have managed uh, to stay friends all of these years. Um, We don't see each other that often, but we talk on the phone or email, and um, he has uh, become quite the singer and really loves to perform in and around L.A., so when I can, I go out to see him perform uh, as well. So 
Yeah, we stayed in touch, and it's been a great friendship through all of these years. And and we just thought when we both got the invitation, what fun it would be to go together, and it was perfect. Oh, the fans loved it, especially you know seeing uh, the group picture of Leanne K O U and Greg Marks. It was just totally back in you know <laughs> it was 1982 all over again. <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> it truly was. For the Days fans, it was a lot of fun. Uh, so recently you've been starting up on Twitter. How has the experience been being on Twitter? Well, you know, um, it is unbelievably fun and, um, again, such a terrific surprise. Um, I am, unfortunately, somewhat of a dinosaur, um, I do have a Facebook account, but uh, I have not activated it really or been active. That's coming soon. That hopefully I will get back on or get on Facebook. Um, the only reason I was on it is probably six or eight years ago. Someone sent me an invitation to a party, and the only way I could view the invitation was to sign up on Facebook, and I didn't realize what I was getting into um time I ever used it was to look at the um at the invitation but um I'm learning all of this new modern technology and hopefully starting to take advantage of it of it and finding out it's not so terrifying and I'm having fun well I love all the pictures you've been putting up uh from you know in your entire career uh a lot of great you know since we're still kind of on days uh, I wanted to ask, you know, we, we see a lot of pictures from Renee's big exit. You know, I mean, nobody had the <laughs> had such a dramatic, wonderful, you know, uh, last last episode uh, like Renee did. And aside from that, what was like your favorite storyline from Dave? You know, it's just it's really too tough um, because I got to work with so many wonderful people and. I just think the writers at that time for Renee were really terrific, except for deciding to kill her off. What can I say? Yeah. <laughs> but, but, hey, what a send-off they gave Renee. I, I mean, for somebody or people to have saved that and now, you know, put that up on YouTube um, has been uh, amazing that, again, 33 years later, um, people who weren't even born are now – contacting me somehow and telling me that they they loved watching that and they still watch it and you know I'm getting quote-unquote new fans um who I never dreamed I would have because they weren't even born yet so what an incredible thing you know that YouTube and and all of this new media has provided us with um you know I I loved uh working with um Bill and Susan Hayes and um, Brenda Benet, when I first came on the show, what powerhouses to be um, among and, and working with. And then it transitioned to um, uh, to Teo and to, to um, Joe Moscolo and the whole Demira family. So that was terribly exciting and, and refreshing and challenging. And, you know, um, the whole thing with the, with then the marriage to uh, David Banning and working with Greg Marks so closely and 
and getting back to working with Bill and Susan a little bit. And then finally the send-off, you know. I, I, I mean, how can I pick just one? It was just such a glorious uh, time and just so many wonderfully challenging opportunities and fabulous actors to work with. Oh, well, I'm so grateful that those episodes, you know, that what what, are, what does exist is on YouTube. I mean, I, I, I really, I, all the time I wish there were more of the uh, Renee, Tony, Anna storyline because I remember watching that storyline and just being completely, you know, into it. And that is, so, so more of that I'd love to, someone has, if someone has some of that footage somewhere, please. You know, but uh, yeah, it's fabulous. It's great that people can rediscover uh, the characters from back then, you know, including Renee, of course, and uh, it's really wonderful. You know, you mentioned Brenda Benet, and, you know, it was a real tragedy with what happened to her uh, on days when uh, uh, when she took her life. How did that affect you guys on the set when that happened? Well, it was, um, Gut-wrenching, that's the best way way to put it. Um, You know, back then, we were only two weeks ahead of the storyline. So this came completely out of the blue and a shock to everyone, and including the writers, you know, and it was so heartbreaking that it couldn't be ignored. You know, it couldn't just be that, she doesn't show up anymore or, or just in passing, you know, the character or some character says, you know, oh, Lee left town. Um, so for them to come up with what they did for the storyline, I think was wonderful with um, Marlena showing up to the cabin and Tony and Renee had just gotten engaged and were so thrilled and for her to show up at the cabin with that package with the letter and the locket and the journal from Lee, you know, saying that um, Stefano DeMiro was Renee's father and therefore she and Tony were brother and sister and, you know, were half brother and sister and could never be together and just the whole devastation. So it was not only the um, conclusion of Renee's relationship with uh with Tony, but also Lee telling her goodbye. And through that letter that was so beautifully written, um, you know, that was shared, quote unquote, out loud uh, by Marlena um, through Renee's request to read it out loud. And all I've got to say is I thank the, uh, the writers at that time for not making me read that out loud because I probably could never have gotten through it. Um, those tears that you saw, you know, in that scene were just so genuine and so heartfelt. It's not that, you know, when our characters cry or we're upset about something, the tears then are genuine too, but this this took it to a whole nother level. And, um, yeah, it took everybody a long time to, uh, to get over it. I, you know, to a certain degree, I'm still not over it today. It was just so shocking and so tragic and and everybody just felt so helpless that you know really reach out and we didn't know how to reach out to her at that time or how much that was really truly needed 
Well, they certainly uh, did the best they could with those circumstances, you know, to make it work along with the story and uh, a very sad time. Um, so I do want to ask, and I don't know, I'll get it right from you because you would know, I want to know if this is a soap opera legend or really the, uh, a fact. I had heard that uh, when Renee, you know, with the whole thing with the first death, you know, of the Salem slasher, you know, the, of Renee's death, that you could, the day's cast actually like picked had to pick a name out of a hat or something to pick who would be the one that would get killed off. Is that true? <laughs> oh, that's so funny. I have never, ever, ever heard that. Okay. So, so that's I a total. <laughs> I don't know where it came from. Um, I will say it was a total shock to me. And at mm-hmm. the time, what was told is like four months before I was killed off, I was told that, you know, the powers that be loved me and I could have a home there for as long as I wanted it. And then I heard a rumor one day that my character was going to be killed off. So I marched up to Al Rabin's office, who was, you know, the executive in charge at the time. And I just flat out asked him, I said, is this rumor true? What's going on? You know, and he said, uh, yeah, true. Um, and what I was told now, again, I don't know if it was for my benefit or to make me feel better or what the real reason was, but supposedly they said it was for ratings, that they needed to kill off a character that really meant something to the show and it would perpetuate a murder mystery for months down the road. And, you know, I guess because, you know, my character was um, or seemingly – I don't know what if I want to say big, but important or, you know, had a great deal of interest at the time that they they chose my character. I don't know if anybody will ever really know the truth, um, but that's what was told to me. But that's very funny that picking a name out of a hat, I've never, ever heard that before. (laughs) I don't remember where I heard it, but I heard it somewhere. But, you know, so, yeah, back then... You know, back then, if the character was killed off, they were killed off. You're, if you're stabbed in the back, you're stabbed in the back. But, of course, that sort of did springboard the whole thing with uh, Stefano coming back from the dead over and over and over. And then Tony DeMiro and Andre DeMiro would come back from the dead over and over and over. So, you know, who knows? Maybe Renee would, you know, maybe it turned out her day, death was fake somehow. And if they ever were to ask you back on Days with Renee, uh, what kind of story would you like to see for her? Well, you know, I'm not one to be a writer, but, um, (laughs) you know, to make it a little feasible, I guess, I think what might be fun, um, uh, of course, if I was asked back, I would love to come back. I think it would just be delicious um, to be on the show again and, and Hopefully, they would pit me definitely against Andre, so it would be fun to work with Teo again. Um, But realistically, (laughs) as realistically as unrealistic as possible, I guess, maybe that um, they never knew that Renee had a twin sister. And somehow, when um, the decision was made that the family kept one and and shipped the other twins to a relative or to somebody, a family in Europe. And she's been in Europe this whole time and somehow finds out that um, uh, 
what really happened and that Andre was the one that killed her, her twin sister, Renee. And it would be fun, I think, for this um, twin to come back and maybe wreak some havoc and try to get revenge on who murdered her sister. She could be Renee's ghost and freak Andre out. <laughs> That's true, That would be fun. There we That's go. That's true, too. You know, I mean, there are so many different ways to go. Um, I, you know, I sincerely hope Days is picked up again, and maybe I will be given that opportunity to uh, to come back and, and have some fun. That would just be delightful. It so for everybody is. listening out there, start the campaign. <laughs> we want Renee back or whatever. <laughs> it would be wonderful. Um well, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about uh, some of the other – first talk a little bit about the other soaps you worked on and then move on to your voiceover. Um, I, how was the experience – you know, it's so funny how uh, – because you can also see on YouTube scenes with you and Ken Schreiner, Mary Beth Evans from Rituals. How was the experience on that show? Oh, man, that was so great. Um, uh, I was a part of Rituals from the very beginning. Um and actually, maybe a lot of people don't know that we did a pilot episode, and since it was being touted as the first syndicated nighttime soap opera, we went to the NAPTI convention and worked it very hard and um, succeeded in getting enough um, stations to buy into the show that it was going to be on the air. And when they came time to do that, they decided to scrap the whole pilot that we had done and go in a completely new uh, direction. And um, that's when they brought in Jorn Winther, and he took over heading the show. And I went from playing a college student to playing one of the teachers and had the great good fortune to have Ken Schreiner be my, my partner in Mike. We were a little bit, uh, see, a little bit. Um, which was just a, a delightful way to go. And, yeah, there were so many people that came on the show, uh, you know, besides Mary Beth, uh, who was on the show. Uh, Kevin Spiritus was on that show, who went on to do Days, as well as, um, oh, my gosh, I'm just trying to think, uh, Gina Gallego, who did some guest shot things on Days a few years ago. And, wow. Um, yeah, just oh, John Lindstrom was on. The, he was my psychiatrist, mm. I think, for a while on the show. So you know, it was it was another continued springboard for so many people that were just getting started in the soap world, and uh, some definite um, legends: uh, Monty Markham, Christine Jones, uh, Joanne Flug, Tina Louise. You know, all of those people were a part of the show. Wow. Well, and uh, moving on to another world where you played Donna Hudson, how was that? You know, I loved it. I really fought hard to uh, to get that role by the NBC casting directors that I was too young, that they knew my work from Days of Our Lives and Rituals, and I really fought. And I said, I will come in and audition for you. I know I am Donna. Please see me. And um, I did. I went in. Uh, here in Los Angeles to one of the heads of casting at, at NBC and I guess convinced him enough because the next thing I knew is that we had a call that 
they were flying me to New York to test for the show. And um, I think it took them 10 days or more to make the decision because that is what they were concerned about, that I looked too young. Um, Chronologically, I was the right age, but I had always played younger and they were feeling like that was the case. But I guess my audition or what won them over. And so for two, you know, a little over two glorious years, I got to um, to bring my version of Donna to life. Um, I know that there were a lot of people out there who never really accepted me as Donna because of Anna Stewart's brilliant portrayal of her. But there were a lot of people who did embrace me and enjoy my Donna. And I can just say I had a blast. I just thoroughly, thoroughly uh, enjoyed it, storylines that came along with it. And then from there, then you started to really uh, segue into voiceover work. How did you get into that? Um, Well, I had always done um, voiceovers, which, you know, um, I maybe people – understand or if you don't I mean there's so many different elements to voiceovers there's voiceover in radio commercials there's voiceover in television commercials there's original animation voiceover there's book narration voiceover there is anime voice voiceover which is dubbing you know they call it dubbing because the cartoon is already done, usually in a foreign language, and you're coming in and, and saying the words in English, and you have to make um, all of the English fit into the mouths that are already flapping, you know, on screen. Um, so there's so many different levels of it. I started out doing radio and TV commercials when I first got started. Um, I'm basically from Dallas originally, and uh, I picked an agent in Dallas who said, oh, I have a voiceover department, and I said, you do? And she said, yes, and I said, well, then I'm signing with you, and she taught me, and literally what it was, and this is how old I am and how long ago this was, um, I sat on a little stool, and she sat across from me next to a reel-to-reel recorder with a little microphone that I held and she gave me radio copy and I would practice it and she would direct me and say now do this think about that do this and that's what got my voiceover career started and then when I did the soap I didn't have time um, because again voiceover is usually so fluid and so quick that if I was available for the audition then because of the soap I wasn't available for the job or if I was available for the job I wasn't available for the audition so Kind of those years, I didn't do a lot of of, uh, voiceover. But then when I got off the soap, I started pursuing it again. And also what fell into my lap was um, uh, audiobook narration. And um, I won't go into all of that because it's kind of a long story, but a wonderful one. But suffice it to say, by doing the narration, that led me to Uh, producing and directing over 60 books on tape for, you know, um, uh, Romance Alive and uh, Audio Renaissance and even HarperCollins. And then during that time, um, I was blessed to have Jack Kirby of famous cartoon, or uh, sorry, uh, comics fame, who created the Silver Circle, 
Surfer and Captain America, Incredible Hulk, all those wonderful characters as a friend. And I was at his birthday party, and I ended up talking to this gentleman for a while. And finally, I said, what do you do? And he said, well, I'm head of New World Entertainment, and uh, we're getting ready to uh, do a remake of the Incredible Hulk cartoon series. And I said, wow, oh, that's amazing. I do animation. And truthfully, I had never done animation. But um, I believed in myself and my skills. And he said, do you have an animation tape? And I said, oh, you know what? I'm working on it, but I have a commercial tape. And he said, well, I'd love to listen to it. So uh, I got it to him. He listened to it. And he was good to his word. And he brought me in. And, um, you know, the rest is history. I became uh, Betty Ross on The Incredible Hulk. And that was my first animation series and then um the second year uh Jamie Simone for Savon took over um the show and uh by meeting him it led him to recommending me for Digimon uh to play Mimi which I auditioned for and got and that was my first anime dubbing I had never done that before but I had dubbed myself you know, in some of these, like you mentioned, the television shows that I had done, you know, sometimes audio or sound is bad and you've got to go in later and, you know, revoice a a section and you have to match your lips and everything. So I thought, well, I can do that. And sure enough, I was kind of on the job learning, but I caught on very quickly. And the directors I worked with led to um, giving me other opportunities and telling other people about me to audition and my voiceover career just started, um, you know, skyrocketing from there and also through my agent and, you know, getting more original animation as well as um, the anime. And so it's just been a sheer delight because um, here I don't have to rely on my looks or my age. You know, I can be that, five-year-old little kid or that 95-year-old old old lady. And it's just such a delight to be able to um, encompass all of those roles and those attitudes and bring those characters and tell the truth of those characters. Well, when you audition uh, for a voiceover role, what would you say that casting people, you know, look for, listen for, uh, does it depend on, you know, uh, the accent or how you are, you know, actually playing the character? What would you say is important in a, well, in a voiceover audition? I would say absolutely what I just started to go into a little bit. They listen for the truth. You know, even though you're playing a character or an animal or an inanimate object, everybody has an attitude or a belief or a desire or a will and they're listening for the truth. Um, And, um, you know, it's really, it's really you kind of taking yourself out of it a little bit and say, okay, this character is supposed to be sad. And you ask yourself, when was the last time I was sad? Oh, okay. I remember. And it's funny because the body does an amazing thing. If you think about something um, that, uh, conjures up or recalls an emotion, 
your body kind of goes with it and kind of goes there. So you're ready to be, you're genuinely sad when you open your mouth to be sad as that character. And then, of course, you know, through trial and error, you kind of learn as far as voice placement goes, okay, this is a six-year-old or this is a teenager or this is a, you know, an 80-year-old. And you you kind of know where your voice placement is. But bottom line is telling the truth of that character, not seeing, picking up a piece of copy and going, oh, I'm supposed to be a frog. What does a frog sound like? Or I'm supposed to be six years old. What does a six-year-old sound like? No, you read the copy and find out what is going on with that character, what they're feeling, what their truth is, what their attitude is, and do that first, and then open your mouth and see what comes out. Well, it sounds so knowledgeable and such great advice. Have you ever taught classes with voiceover? Yes, um, I was lucky enough that... Um, Harvey and Kathy Kalmanson, uh, I used to audition over there a lot. And in fact, um, Harvey pulled me aside one day and asked me if I would like to booth direct. And it was quite the honor because he had never allowed anyone but himself to booth direct auditions for clients. And um, basically, I said, let me think about it. I did. And I said, okay. And so I booth directed. Um, for them for, I think, three years. And during that time, they asked me if I would be interested in teaching. And um, I ended up teaching for them almost 10 years. And um, I helped recreate uh, their animation course and taught that for the last couple of years that I was there teaching. Um, but I taught everything from um, foundations, which is which I loved because that was people that were told, oh, you have a great voice. You should do radio or TV or, you know, uh, whatever. And these were doctors and lawyers and nurses and plumbers and electricians and, you know, people from all walks of life who knew nothing about the voiceover industry. So it was such a delight to um, help guide them and and work with them to figure out if that's what they wanted to uh to try to make a career out of or a part-time career. And then um, there was the beginning acting, which is people who've never done voiceover before but had been training. And then there was the level two, and then there was like demo prep, which was helping people find copy to um, make their voiceover demos uh, so they could try to get jobs or get an agent. And, and then finally the uh, animation course. And so... I loved it all. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it, um, but at a certain point, it was time to uh, to move on. So, so you have any uh, <laughs> right, right? So, do you have any uh, projects coming up now that you can tell us about with acting or or voiceover? Well, I have I have several things that I have done on the. Um, I have been told, you know, you have to sign these um, non disclosure agreements saying that you won't talk about it until it comes mm. out. So I have three or four of those that I've done. Mm, I wonder mm-hmm. what that could be. Um, and um, uh, I have several heart projects that I am trying to produce and uh, get off the ground. Uh, 
um, both in uh, film, the film arena, as well as reality television. And um, gosh, I don't know. I mean, I'm just so excited about this time in my life, and I'm looking to get back on camera um, in different ways. Like I, like we had mentioned, I'd, I'd love to go back to the soap, um, but I also want to do other projects and other things. And um, this past year, I directed my first uh, short film, which was accepted into several film festivals. So that was quite delightful um, to be acknowledged in a in a in a, a director's debut, I guess, as you would say. Um, so yeah, I'm just having fun and um, you know looking at the world being my oyster right now and and seeing what comes along. Um, I guess one of the things that I I would say about myself is that I have never been strictly goal-oriented because I always felt that would be people are putting blinders on and just focusing on one thing and and not seeing other opportunities that might come, come up along the way. And so I've just always kind of followed my gut, my intuition, my heart, and um, I think it has you know, led me to some incredible journeys, and I'm looking forward to all the ones to come. So that was a wonderful chat with Celise Sampler. Uh, Since we did this interview, uh, great news has come out that Days of Our Lives has indeed been picked up for another year. So let's do that campaign, get Felice back on the show as Renee DeMira. Uh, Please like my Facebook page at Outtakes on Blog Talk Radio. Follow me on Twitter at Laurie's Outtakes. And until next time. (laughs) 